Mark Azoulay is an industry leader in psychotherapy and men's mental health. He's helped countless guys get back on their feet, deepen their relationships, and excel in their lives. Now he's taken all that he has learned and is sharing it with you. In each episode, Mark will interview an expert in the field of masculinity and men's work. We'll cover topics such as emotional intelligence, masculine identity, anger management, financial health, trauma recovery, marriage and divorce, ethics, and spirituality. Tune in and become a better man. Welcome back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm here with Aaron Eigler. He's a therapist in Boulder, Colorado, who works with men in relationships, men's sexuality, and men's issues. Aaron, welcome to the show. How's it going, Mark? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I've, I've had um, your friend Melissa Radis on a handful of times. Um, I know you yeah. guys work in the same practice, and I'm always excited to interview local Colorado therapists because it's a great way to spotlight people and just see like what our state is doing. Totally. Yeah. And thanks to Melissa for introducing us. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. She's just phenomenal. And you can go back and listen to her episodes um, earlier on in the show, but Aaron, we'll start with you. So in the first segment, we talk about kind of your personal story around masculinity and men's work. Um, so let's just dive right in. Like what was your message you got about masculinity and being a man growing up? Yeah. So going back to the beginning, I, uh, I am, the youngest of three kids from my my dad and my mom, and I have a younger sister from my dad's second marriage. But um, my mom is a an immigrant was an immigrant to the U.S. from Israel, and her parents are were Auschwitz survivors, were survivors of the Holocaust. And so I grew up in in this Jewish household, but my my parents divorced when I was two, so I grew up in. Um, you know, spending all the time pretty much at my mom's house and every other weekend at my dad's house. And my dad was a very successful cardiologist in, in LA and, um, you know, pseudo famous doctor. Um, and so it was interesting growing up in that, in that environment, because at one, I'm, I'm living under this, this, my mom, who's, working her butt off to make ends meet, right? We're living kind of middle-class environments. And and then I I go to my dad's house every other weekend and it's so different. And basically, I think the messages I got from that about being a man is that, you know, negative messages, Western messages that work, career is the most important thing is the prioritized thing. It's more important than family, right? It's status and money over love and connection. At least that's how I kind of saw it growing up, right? I I have a much more nuanced view today. Um, But yeah, just the classic meritocracy, work hard, uh, make your, you know, be a self-made person. I think I got messages that you have to do things alone, um, discipline, structure, um, and yeah, and, and so that was that's, that was the family dynamic. Both my grandfathers passed away early on in my childhood. I don't really have much memory of any of them, and and then on my mom's side, right there is just it was very very emotional i'm the young i'm her youngest child i'm kind of the source for her meaning and and enjoyment and fun and so i think i learned early on that i was well i didn't i didn't learn this till later but i think early on i picked up that i was a source of um for my mom to to heal and to feel good. And I think what happened is I learned at that early age that my emotions, I learned to push my own emotions down because I was there supporting other people that needed it. And so it was a long journey for me to understand um, that I have my own needs, my own wants, and that I'm deserving of getting those met. Yeah. And then I guess later on, I grew up and, um, made really good friends, and I, the thing that like really turned—I remember being like a really sad kid in middle school, 
um, kind of anxious, maybe depressed. And I joined a Jewish youth group, AZA. And there I am surrounded by all these boys, all these young men and the brotherhood around that. And I think that really allowed me to have that community to open up, to feel that camaraderie. And very, I'm so lucky that at that young age, I had this group of, of young boys that we can be that mirror for each other, right? We could gain, we could feel success, we can feel leadership, we can feel that safety and that emotional vulnerability that I think most boys at that age never had. And so that was a really critical uh, point in my masculine, masculine identity developments. Um, and also there, right, there's the girl group and interaction and, and growing up and then having like really, really secure relationships with women at that age. So I feel really blessed that I had that opportunity. Yeah, I think that's incredible, right? And something that the Jewish culture does really well is having a lot of these structures, especially for young people, I think, to like mm-hmm. connect and, and be in a more communal setting instead of this kind of traditional Western thing of like, you know, king of the castle, right? Like just like lock it down with the nuclear family. So yeah, I'm hearing like a progression. Let me hear says so correct for you of like from provider, right? Either you provide money and status and material good, or you provide emotion and joy and laughter and humor and things like that. But it sounds like when you went to the Jewish uh, program, it was more about connection and more like reciprocal. You were, it sounds like you were actually getting fed by that. Yeah. And it's, I saw that from my dad's side, right? The, the money, the, the success, the, the, um, the discipline, the, right the some jewish things right the the intelligence the critical thinking and then i fought against that so much and really aligned with the fun with the connection with the empathy and um to the point where i i like you know i push those other things that are important away um right because they don't feel good as much than they're hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a common thing. I do the same thing. I think of our millennial generation is like, we kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater, right? I think mm. we pushed away a lot of the traditional masculine roles because they either weren't working in our family or, you know, a lot of, in my case, right, my, my mom went through the feminist movement and it was really good for her, but then her parenting was around, you know, how men can be predators or how they can scam you or how all they create in the world is violence, right? Like there's a lot of just like negative messages that I think confused me a lot as a kid growing up. Um, it took me, you know, until you know my late 20s to really reclaim masculinity. You know, um, a lot of my life was just pushing it away. I'm curious, is that story similar to yours? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, to an extent, um, I think I, I, I never had a conflict with me in terms of how I am as a man in this world, other than kind of the shame that comes with how I feel like I'm supposed to be in terms of like, I have ADHD, right? And so things like focus and discipline, things like um, sounding intelligence, Right, those things that I, I've picked up as as things that society views as important for men to have, right? And and I think you're right. I think it's taken me. That is a similar progression where it had, even into my early 30s is where I really started to understand how those messages have impacted my insecurities and my self image and my self worth. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious about. The shame piece, because I think a lot of guys feel that, you know, um, part of the theory of traditional masculinity, right? I think men are inherently hierarchical. We are very mm. linear. Mm. Luckily, in modern society, there's many hierarchies. It's not just like the biggest, strongest dude, but I think we still like, you know, rankings and points and score and tiers and all that kind of stuff. Like our oh. brain tends to kind of like work that way. Oh, yeah. Um, tell my partner, right? I, quanti- I quantify everything. <laughs> right. That, that's the whole thing. It's like just spreadsheets, pros and cons, right? Like just dissect, dissect, dissect. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it, it sounds like as a kid, you felt like you were at the bottom of some of those hierarchies. That must've been really difficult, right? To be aware of them and feel like you couldn't quite measure up in some way. Yeah. And I, I think, right, as a kid, you don't have the the language and the, the self-concept to really put anything into words. But, right, of course, right, searching for dad's approval, right, like trying to navigate your way in society, like what does success mean for you? What do you want? And I think what happens is we don't ever get the chance to really understand what's important to us and and what we want and why we want it like i still have trouble understanding like why do i why am i why do i want that or what do i want i think of therapy all the time i'm just like is that what you want hmm, i don't know <laughs> right yeah that's just like yeah. some cultural conditioning or is it actually who you are yeah and i think yeah for for most men at least in western society it's like yeah the game playing of the game can overshadow our own personal development because the game just feels so ubiquitous and so urgent right like everyone's running and you're like okay shit i better start running but do i even care about this race i'm even in this race like why how did i end up here but it's just you know gun fires and you gotta go yeah and then you end up somewhere and you're like how did how did i get here and why did i get here and yeah you know a career path that you don't put a lot of thought into or that you're told will give you some status or that will make you money um, but not really understanding what, how's that going to be fulfilling for you? Yeah. So tell us about your version of that story. You said you started to come to awakening early thirties. Like what was your kind of sprint out the gate? Yeah. I mean, so college, I, I majored in psychology and history. Um, yeah. And, and not quite knowing what, what I wanted to do actually backtrack a little bit. So this is kind of, everything kind of came full circle. Um, I, if you asked my mom at age 12 what I wanted to be, she would have told you a sex therapist. I was, you know, exposed to porn at a really young age. Uh, I think my older siblings found some VHS tapes in my mom's closet. And so not being old enough to know it was really wrong to show me, they showed me when I was probably like five or six, got into porn and, but it didn't affect me negatively in terms of how I connect with people, but what it did is just expose me to sex and the importance of sex. And to me, it was actually this like fun, creative, silly. That's how I, I internalized it. And then I see my parents kind of really like not happy, not enjoying their lives separately. And I saw their their lives is like at my 12 year old brain is like they just need to fuck more right they need to have more sex and have connection um so i just had this notion that like oh the sex therapist would be really fun anyways i go to school i I graduate i teach i end up teaching abroad and then i kind of come back to denver and i land i I start i'm trying to find a job in the music industry it doesn't really pan out i start subbing and then i i was a teacher for um seven years essentially and so automatically falling into that like caring empathetic role right uh that that was naturally what i was doing good as a young kid right taking care of my family my mom right being that nurturer um and but it wasn't for me right it wasn't uh, it wasn't my passion. It wasn't necessarily my strength, right? My best teaching job was when I was a music teacher, right? My ADHD, I can like be creative and and have kids just play and be silly. And it, ultimately it didn't work out. It was too much. It wasn't my passion. And I ended up going back to school, become a school counselor actually. And then within the first semester, I realized that, oh my God, I'm in this program, this umbrella counseling program. And all I have to do is sign a form and I'm going to become, I can become a couples and family therapist. And then within that, I can just work harder and work and get my certified sex therapy credential and full circle from 12 to like, I came around to being, holy shit, this is like, always felt good. Always felt like the natural thing. And I just kind of skirted around it for 20 something years. That's a great story. Yeah, it sounds like you're yeah. able to find something that could really, you know, jive with your interests and be in a way that's helping people right? that still has that yeah. mentor nurturing role. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
Um, yeah. So we're going to go to our first commercial break. When we come back, I want to talk more about sex therapy, especially from like the male perspective, right? I think um, male sexuality is really misunderstood and there's a lot of, you know, negative messages around it. You know, again, some of the stuff we talked about earlier of like being a predator or being like a wild animal or, you know, the, all that kind of stuff, right? Toxic masculinity messages. Um, and I'm curious, yeah, what you're, what you learned about and what you're discovering uh, with the work that you do with clients. Right on, I'm excited. Yeah, so if you're listening, hang on in there and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Men's Therapy Online is now accepting new members. Men's Therapy Online offers a solution to the lack of outlets for emotional expression, positive role models, and access to meaningful milestone experiences. In our post-COVID world, loneliness is at an all-time high. Men need consistent community. Our society is rapidly changing. Old models of masculinity are falling at the task of promoting emotional intelligence and meaningful connection. Men's Therapy Online offers tools and experiences designed to help the man who is struggling to balance traditional male roles and emotional fluidity. Whether you need to get back on your feet or take your life to the next level, Men's Therapy Online has your back. We help our members become a true 21st century man, a man who is not burdened by the rapid change of society, but who contributes to it honorably. If you're interested in signing up and finding your band of brothers, go to menstherapy.online to learn more. That's menstherapy.online. Start your journey today. Do you ever feel like you're just going through the motions? Jan Jones wants to boost your energy and ignite the power inside you. The Good Good Life with Jan Jones. Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to the Men's Therapy Podcast with Mark Azalea. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at menstherapy.online or visit www.menstherapypodcast.com. Now, back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. Welcome back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Azale. I'm here with Aaron Eigler, and we're talking about male sexuality and male sexual satisfaction. Aaron, I'm really happy to talk about this topic with you because it's something that is both unbelievably taboo to talk about and perpetuates almost every aspect of our society, right? It's one of those like shadow things that, that are um, underlie so much of American culture specifically. So uh, I'm curious, like how would you define male sexuality? Ooh, I don't know if I've ever been asked to just define sexuality. What is it? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I think that part of it is a, a, a natural drive to to feel good to to connect and and to me it, there's a whole element of 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 playfulness um, and becoming you know part of it it's becoming whole right I think there's a whole soulful element to sexuality yeah there's like a spiritual layer right of that union with somebody else yeah 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 so so what are some of the issues that guys in your practice talk about like what gets in the way of that union or in that way of that having fun yeah let's see i mean the shame in all the forms you know and anxiety so whether it be performance anxiety that leads to 
erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or disconnection from their partner um, leading to discrepancies in desire, which is really, really common where one partner is wanting sex more than the other. And uh, that, especially for masculine, you know, in, in, in our society is men as being the the ones that are portrayed as the people that need to go after it, right? Pursue, be the hunters, right? If they're feeling, if they're not in that role, right? Feeling like there's definitely something wrong with them. And that brings on guilt and shame as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, when I talk with some of my guys, they often, you know, talk about the performance anxiety, right? I think for a lot of men, sex can feel like a pop quiz, like a test, right? Of like, can I please my partner? am I going to last long? Like, is this going to be good? Right. Like, and I think especially with our generation that tends to be more focused on our partner, I think than previous generations. Sure. And it, it freaks them out. Right. I mean, it freaks them the fuck out because they're like, what if I fail? You know, what if I come too fast and now I'm in the refractory period and I'm just sitting here. Right. And my partner didn't orgasm. Right. Or what if I can't finish? Right. And she just gets tired or bored or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. well, what do you think of that? Do you talk with guys that have that kind of that fear that goes into it? Yeah, and I think so much of it comes to what our perception of what sex is, mm -hmm. right? And I think you know, going back to the you know that me talking about porn, right? I think we get those images that like sex is right intercourse, right? Penis and vaginal intercourse, right? There's your dick is supposed to make the girl come. And you're supposed to have a big orgasm, right, at the end. And so there's a very limited definition in our brains of what sex is. And if we're not living up to that definition, then there's something wrong with us, right? Where sex is so much more than just penetration. And, and what happens is it leads men to... to not be able to tune in to what they're feeling and what is pleasurable for them, right? Because there's this goal, there's this expectation, and then the anxiety comes in and takes them out of being present in the moment, right? So it's so difficult to just enjoy what's happening, right? The connection, the love, the intimacy, right? The eroticism, the play, right? There's so many things that aren't being attended to that, um, there's a lot of people, there's just so much that people are missing out on. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Like what's gets left on the table? What is in the more expansive definition of sex? Yeah, I think it all kind of comes down to the meaning you get from it. Right. Is it, is, is sex purely physical pleasure? Is sex about connection? Is it an escape? Is it a place to play and be silly and let that inner weird you come out and be accepted and be loved, right? And if there's a part of you that's not able to come out, right, that is is dying to come out and it's being restricted, whether self-restricted or feeling like you're going to be judged by your partner to let that out. So I think there really has to be an inventory taken of what sex means for you, what you want to get out of it. And it's so different, so individualized for every person. But then when the thing that we do want and the thing that we love and the thing that excites us isn't nurtured or isn't um, accepted or validated, by ourselves or by others, then we're going to get that, um, you know, that shame piece, that anxiety, the, the emptiness that comes with that. You know, when I hear you talk, I just think of, yeah, how restrictive porn being, you know, the main sexual education, you know, vehicle is and how heteronormative it can be and how, um, in some ways, very like plain and vanilla it can be. When I hear you talk, I think about alternative lifestyle or kink or fetishes or things like that. Um, is that in the scope of your work? Do you help people develop and understand those? 
Yeah, I mean, I so I, I'm you know I'm I'm new in this field, right? I'm graduating school in a month from now. Um, actually, by the time you hear this, probably I've just graduated, and um, and so all of this stuff that's coming to me, I feel like I can because I'm coming at it from a lens of curiosity, right? My, my job, right? Our job as therapists, right? Is to put ourselves in the other person's shoes, right? To understand their perspective, right? Because before you can understand, before you can help your client make changes, you gotta understand what they want and what they need, right? And have them have empathy for them, have them build empathy for themselves, right? Compassion for themselves. And then, so I feel in that way, I can work with clients that are coming for me with anything, right? Whether it is, you know, a kink, you know, if they're in the BDSM community, if they're swinging, if they're open, if they're polyamory, if they're into, you know, if they're disgusted by the porn that they watch, um, I can work with all that. Yeah, I... I guess I'd be curious, like, how you might help somebody develop and expand their definition of sex and sexuality, right? Because I think a lot of people, I think men in particular, right? We don't, we don't think about it critically, right? We just kind of watch the porn and then we execute the program. And like, for some of us, that feels right. For some of us, it feels like maybe something's missing. But I don't, I don't see that much exploration um, with, I think, most men. Uh, so how would you, like, encourage that? Or how would you help somebody start to broaden their horizons a little bit. Yeah, I think it all, I mean, not to, you know, kind of go back to it, right? It's, it's understanding what their desires are, right? And that they have needs and that they have wants, right? I think for men, right, it is like we're saying that often it's just like, the want is that you should be able, you should be the strong man that pursues the, the girl and, you know, and men try that and maybe aren't feeling good about it, right? They're not getting something. And so it's just expanding their awareness uh, of their, what turns them on, right? What, where, what messaging have you gotten around sex? So exploring uh, you know, their upbringing and their exposure to sex, right? What were some positive and negative experiences that you've had? How do you know you're enjoying yourself? How do you know your partner's enjoying you, right? And and so how do you communicate about sex? And And so talking about really just giving men the space and the room to dive into, uh, you know, most men that I see just have never had that open space to talk about it. So that's really just the first step is to have that non-judgmental, you know, open space to feel safe enough, right? I never say it's a safe space, but I say I try and make it a safe enough space for you to take a risk. Yeah, completely, right? I think yeah. most guys, we talk about it in like locker room talk at the best. And I think most guys, especially as we get older, like don't talk about sex, right? Something that is very much hidden from the public eye um you know we're not you know you're not going to like your kid's birthday party and talking about sex with another parent you know like it just really doesn't come up um in most you know i guess the average household right um so i think it is really critical to create those spaces where guys can dig into that and they can be okay saying that they're dissatisfied you know something that i see with a lot of my male clients mm. in a relationship is i think I think with female clients too, but I will stick with men. Like, I think we're so easy to blame our partner, right? Like she's not doing this. We're talking head on narrative right now, but like, she's not doing this. She's not doing that. You know, she sucks. She's a bitch, whatever. Right. But to turn that gaze inward or even just what you're saying, right. To, to change the language of like, Oh, I want this. Right. Or I desire that is really hard for a lot of guys. You know, we can yeah. often point out what's wrong, but very rarely can identify what we actually need. Yeah, and it's really hard for you know you to point that mirror back and say, How, "What's your role in all of this, right? In the relationship, you know." So instead of blaming the partner, right, it's a system, right? It's a couple. But what is your role in the sex life not being good? Right? Yeah, for, for sure. You know, yeah. me, me, one, one of my friends when we uh, talk about 
guys of masculinity, right? We uh, have this kind of joke or this theory, right? That things that all guys think they're good at, most guys are horrible at, right? <laughs> yeah. So like sex being one, right? Like not many men will ever admit to you that they are not good at sex. They don't feel confident or they don't yeah. feel comfortable. I, ha- right? I, just had a, I just had a client recently right, in this last week that he's in his 50s, has had really low desire in his, in his, in his marriage. And he's literally in the, it's only my second session with him. And he, it's kind of a light bulb, like, hmm, I just was never attentive to my partner's needs, to their pleasure. It was always about my pleasure. And they had a role reversal in their marriage, right? Where she wanted to be the pursuer and he lost that power structure and just killed the vibe for him. Yeah, because he was just kind of pigeonholed into that one thing, right? Yeah. That one kind of heteronormative horn. Exactly. Role. Yeah. 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 I, I wonder about the other kind of typology as well. I wonder if you see this of like the nice guy typology, where I think as a lot of men we we equate like doing things with sex, right? Like, oh, if I like, you know, do my chores and clean the house and make money and like, you know, I'm like nice guy, then, you know, black box sex, right? Like I will get sex or my partner will pursue me or I'll get rewarded with sex. Um, I see you nodding a lot. So it sounds like that's dynamic you see. And I see it being like incredibly uh, disappointing for a lot of guys because that's not how it works, right? You don't get this like reward or this payout most of the time. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm seeing a lot. It's interesting getting into this work because it's been eye-opening for me being where the male right partner of a heteronormative relationship is the more sensitive, the more emotional. Yeah. Right? The and and the woman being more closed off, more critical, more judgmental and men trying to navigate that role of like i'm the nice guy i'm doing all these things right and recognizing that right some of that might be unattractive to the partner or their female partner who is and wants to be feminized wants to be right yeah uh, wants that classic male to take over and have that energy yeah, yeah. And I see that especially yeah, with millennial clients. Like I think as a generation, we are like very depolarized mm-hmm. and we're fighting some level of biology or primal sexuality or whatever you want to call it. I think it leaves a lot of couples very confused, you know, because I, I think as men, we were trained probably, you know, with good intentions to be more sensitive and women were trained to be more masculine and to, you know, go and be more aggressive. And now we're, you know, in our thirties and it's like, fuck, what do we, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, we were kind of trained in the opposite role. Yeah. It's really confusing. Yeah. So we're going to go to our next commercial break. When we come back, I want to dive more into that. I also present if you have some exercises or even introspection prompts that our listeners could use if they want to start to explore the sexual dynamic in their own life or in their relationships. So if you're listening, hang on in there and we'll see you on the other side. and can't get enough of us follow us on instagram at voice america talk radio and see what we're cooking up for you men's therapy online is now accepting new members men's therapy online offers a solution to the lack of outlets for emotional expression positive role models and access to meaningful milestone experiences in our post-covid world loneliness is at an all-time high men need consistent community Our society is rapidly changing. Old models of masculinity are falling at the task of promoting emotional intelligence and meaningful connection. Men's Therapy Online offers tools and experiences designed to help the man who is struggling to balance traditional male roles and emotional fluidity. Whether you need to get back on your feet or take your life to the next level, Men's Therapy Online has your back. We help our members become a true 21st century man. A man who is not burdened by the rapid change of society, but who contributes to it honorably. If you're interested in signing up and finding your band of brothers, go to menstherapy.online to learn more. That's menstherapy.online. 
Start your journey today. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to the Men's Therapy Podcast with Mark Azalea. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at menstherapy.online or visit www.menstherapypodcast.com. Now, back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Asley, and I'm here with Aaron Eichler, and we're talking about sexuality, specifically male sexuality and some of the struggles um, and I think just conditioning we have growing up. Uh, where we left, less, last left you was we're talking about how the millennial generation, I think specifically, is pretty depolarized, that I think a lot of men are in that more traditional feminine role, and a lot of women are in that more masculine role. Um, do you see that in, in the work that you do, Aaron, or the relationships that you have out there in the world? Yeah, I, I, I think in terms of I see that in couples, especially emotionally, right, where a lot of men take on the more kind of sensitive, um, nurturing role in the relationship, and that can be definitely polarizing confusing um especially if if their partner if that might be a turn on or a turn off for their partner and so that can be like pretty hard to navigate be, you know as as like as you talk about modern modern men right just in our education emotional intelligence becoming more of a thing right we are you know, training our, ourselves to be a little bit more attuned to our emotions, but that could that have a negative impact in a relationship? I know, which is such a scam. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I think it's there. I see it with a lot of the guys I work with too, is I think as men, you know, our listeners have to understand, right, that we are like infants in this process, right? Like we have been, you know, as a generations, right, like closed off to you know, emotional conversations for a very long time and actually shamed for having feelings at all. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of guys try to pivot in the other direction and they can come across as almost victimy or as too fragile or as, um, you know, soft. Right. And what women see that as is actually unsafe. Right. Because they're like, Oh, if my man is crumbling or can't keep his commitments or, you know, gets triggered all the time. Like, I don't know if he's a safe partner, which is a very, um, very primal, I think part of the female psyche, right. Where they want a safe protector, someone that they can really depend on, um, you know, in the case of like a famine or a war or something, right. Like it's just hard baked in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to do that work, especially with couples, right. And to, to, I, so I, I work under uh, a master sex therapist, Dr. Neil Cannon, and he has this, this model, right. It's UCC where it's understanding compassion and, and uh, um, collaboration, right. So to work on any problem in a relationship and especially sexual problems, right? Before you can make the changes that you need, right? You have to have understanding of everyone's perspective, right? And so it could be that, you know, the wife is just not turned on by like the male's, you know, uh, you know, sensitivity. Right. And so, and what does that mean for her? Like you just said, right. It could be a lack of security. It could be, um, uh, you know, a just, you know, a turnoff, right. It's it, it, and things like that. 
And so, so first comes understanding. You have to understand everyone's perspective. And then because until you understand, you can't really have that compassion or that empathy for your partner. So it's kind of like a neat little, even kind of just like, a, you know, you could think about the process of therapy as in couples where it can just be like, we got to get understanding. Then we got to build compassion and empathy for each other's perspectives. And then once we have that, we can say, okay, now we have all this information. We know each other so much better. We have greater awareness of what makes us tick. Where can we make the changes? And where can we compromise? Where can we work to get everyone's needs met? So, yeah, I think, I think, and that requires that individual work on the other people being like, okay, what do I actually want? And who am I? Uh, I think yeah. especially in a sexual dynamic, you know, um, I, I'm curious if you've seen this. Have you seen like people's sexual dynamic mirroring a greater relationship dynamic? So is there a way to almost use what's happening in the bedroom as a diagnostic tool to what might be happening in the greater relationship? Well, yeah, I, I think most folks will kind of, especially if there's been a change, right? But also just kind of use sex as a barometer for relationship satisfaction and connection, right? Where especially you have a couple that, you know, the classic progression of, you know, you get together, you're hot and heavy, having sex all the time, and then you're together years and, you, uh, you know, things get stale. And of course, right, does it just get stale in sex? Probably not. It's probably getting stale in other places. It's probably getting stale in fun. It's probably getting stale in adventure and connection, right? You're, you know, things got easy. Um, so I, I think sex is definitely a barometer for where things are in a relationship. Yeah, well, what would you recommend to the to the male or to the couple even that sex is getting stale? I think that's unbelievably common, right? Like it just tends to peter out without work and without more fuel for the fire. Yeah, I think me, I think what happens is like when you get together in a relationship and there's that novelty component, right? Everything's new and you know, human brains, we like new things, right? It's, it's, you watch a movie 10 times, it's not going to be as cool as the first time, right? Um, and so I love this work because it, it's, sex is like the window into making a more enriched relationship in general, right? Where how can we, if we want to bring, make sex more fun, let's talk about what fun is, right? What is fun for you, right? And what brings you joy, right? And I think it's often in relationships, those just aren't like natural conversations that people have. And so there's almost just not an awareness of what really makes the other person or yourself tick, right? We just kind of go through things and like feel things and don't necessarily reflect on things. And, and yeah, it just takes kind of that commitment to learning and understanding and curiosity. Yeah. So let's dive into an exercise you can give to listeners. We talked during the commercial break about kind of a values-based exercise that you can run people through to answer some of those questions, right? Because I think like as therapists, we've done a lot of thinking about that, right? We tend to be very introspective people, philosophical people. Um, but I think most clients and listeners, like they don't think about that stuff, right? Like they're not the same weirdo that we are. So I'm curious how you would help somebody start to ask some of those questions. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because I don't necessarily view myself as that introspective, self-reflecting person. I actually had to go to grad school and go to my own therapy to really become that person and 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 gain that uh, you know discipline as part of my life, right? And because it's so much easier to not, right? Well, it's not easier, right? But it is sometimes it's hard. <laughs> to reflect, right? It's, it, it can be really painful. And so we often just avoid that because, you know, the biggest risk of that is getting at ourselves. And so 
being kind of an existential experiential therapist, I don't, you know, and, and, and growing in this field, I'm kind of gaining tools and interventions, but like the most simple thing that I like to do, and I do it early on, whether it's like with my couples or individuals is a simple values sort. Right. And so to understand, because ultimately we want to know what we want, what our needs are, um, and in order to you know make choices that make us feel empowered, that we have agency, right, to enrich our lives. And so, but you see so many clients that just don't, like I said, you know, what's the meaning of sex for you? No idea, right? Uh, to feel good, to have an orgasm, right? Like that's probably about as basic as a lot of my clients can get initially. And so I'll, I'll present a value store. I give them a sheet of paper that has 130 values on it. And then I like to be, you know, experiential. So I'll get a piece of paper. And so anyone at home can do this. Get a piece of paper. You can be with a pencil. You can get crayons, colored pencils, or whatever. And I I give them a, a values paper with just literally just a list of values. And I just say, circle everything that resonates for you. And they'll probably get like 20. And then I have them break them down. I'm like, okay, I really want you to concentrate. I want you to pick five. So any listener out there can go out there and just pick five values, like from a value sort. You can just Google values, you know, list of values. And um, then you get this, this, these five values. And I say, order them. Put them in order if you can. But it doesn't matter because you got five. So they're going to be really important to you. Right. So like my values when I've done this, number one is connection to fun, growth, nature, and authenticity. And so I, I put down a paper, I circle them, I kind of space them apart. And then I just kind of ask my clients, like, what does if connection, right? What does connection mean to you? And just have them write, like kind of free write what it means to them, right? So sex is part of connection, love, right? For me, not, it could be different for everyone. Acceptance, understanding, right? What is fun? Right, fun for me is sensuality, play, silliness, adventure, right, pleasure. And so I go down that list. And so what clients are like, what you'll get as you go this is like, damn, these are all the things that like I like. This is all the things that bring meaning to my life. These are all the things that I want to bring in, okay? And so then we have the conversation, right? How, how is this aligned with how you are? What behaviors are not aligned with your values? What are, what are you, look at your values. What is it telling you about your needs, right? I need to have fun. I need to feel connected. I need to be in nature, right? I need to feel like I'm being myself and not working, not acting out of someone else's vision, someone else's voice all right where's the dissonance right where's the conflict between your beliefs and your values and your and your wants right and so sexually that you know you're like hmm i want fun i want to grow i want to uh, be sensual right and you're just like how are these elements missing in your sex life and then you can come at it with like this greater awareness of what's going to make sex a more meaningful experience for you or anything, right? It doesn't have to be sex. That could be literally for any aspect of your life. Any choice that you make. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Right. I think it's good to help externalize that type of thing and to take that honest audit and inventory of like, okay, where am I with these things? Um, and where are we as a couple, right? Like if you have two people do it, some of them might not value the same things, right? There might be conflict. That's the, with that? Yeah, that's, the, that's the, the best thing about it too. And that's why I love couples work is because it's fast, right? It moves. You, you, you have multiple brains in the room and you can't escape your bullshit <laughs> and it, in couples therapy. And so, um, yeah, so you, you, now it's on a piece of paper and you can see right, where the conflict is, right? And it makes so much more sense, right? And so then you can understand it of like, 
all right, I have this need and you have that need and that's okay. And now I understand why uh, you got mad at me because I wasn't meeting your need for, you know, uh, playfulness. <laughs> right. But I, you didn't have the language before to know that like, that's what you really needed. Right. So now there's just this now systemic understanding. Um, and sometimes it can be really painful. Like, I don't know if I can provide that need for you. Right. Like that's not a turn on for me. And then, then you kind of work on compromise and you figure out how you can make it work, you know, and pleasure be separated, right? Does it always have to be mutual pleasure? Like, can you get joy of doing something for your partner and then have them do that to you something different later? And, you know, that's a lot of work. Yeah, but it's, it's work worth doing, right? Either that or having like a kind of stale, cold marriage. Um, and I think it's great, right? Because like you said, it puts into context all those same fights that you may have been having with your partner over and over again. It's like, oh, it's not about the dishes or about, you know, leaving on time or whatever. Right? It's about these deeper values that are more core uh, to kind of who, who we are in relationship. Never about the dishes. Right. Exactly. Um, so, Aaron, we are approaching the end of our episode. I'm curious um, if you want to find you online or learn more about you, where can I find you? Yeah. So, my Psychology Today page, you can just search Aaron Eigler, is probably the easiest way. I, I work at two private practices. Um, the main one I work at is the Cannon Institute in Denver, and that's specifically for sex therapy. And so, but so you can email me at you can go to the website, thecanoninstitute.com, or you can email me at Aaron at thecanoninstitute.com. And I also work uh, with Melissa Radatz at Kenosis Counseling. So you can look at kenosiscounseling.com or email me at Aaron at kenosiscounseling.com. Great. Yeah. Reach out to him. He knows his stuff. Uh, looking for new clients. It'll be great to you can work on your sexuality, your couples, or your family dynamics. Uh, Aaron's your guy. So I guess as we're wrapping up here, if you like this episode, please share it. Uh, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, listen to us on Spotify. We're trying to build those things. And share it with someone who you feel like needs to expand their definition of sex, right? Who needs to connect on a deeper level and maybe feels a little bit boxed in or trapped. Um, I think there's a message here around the idea that sex can be more and relationships can be more than what we were told and what we were kind of trained to do. Um, so, Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show. Mark, thank you so much. This was this was really fun. Yeah, great episode. And thank you listeners for tuning in. And we'll see you next week, another episode of the Men's Therapy Podcast. Thank you for joining your host, Mark Angele, on the Men's Therapy Podcast. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and anywhere podcasts are found. To support the show, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information or to apply to be a guest, visit www.menstherapypodcast.com.